Amen. Thank you, fellas, and uh, thank you, whoever did this. If I get thirsty up here, I didn't get a bottle of water tonight. I got a Mountain Dew throwback. I think I know who did that, and I appreciate it. You know, they say confession is good for the soul, so I will confess that uh, Missy was quite young when we got married, even younger when I met her. In fact, I remember changing her diapers when she was little. But that's quite all right, because when I'm older, she'll change mine. But no, in all reality, Missy is seven years younger than I. I married young in order to raise my wife the way I wanted her. But I will confess as well that it turned out the other way. She is still raising me. So, Herbert, you were right in some aspects. Don't let that go to your head. Listen, it's time for you all to sit up, wake up, and listen up. Because I'm going to tell you like Liz Taylor told all her umpteen husbands, I'm not going to keep you long. I'm glad y'all know who Liz Taylor is, because some of these young folks, y'all going to have to explain that one. But listen, this is going to be one of those messages where I get right to the point. I've kept you over an hour almost every time I've had you since Sunday morning, and sometimes that's necessary. But tonight it is my goal to get right to the point, make my point, sit down, shut up, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest, because I think this is just one of those that should go without saying, but I didn't want to go without saying it. This week we've been together in revival, and I find revival very first thing. To have revival means that we will breathe new life into the dead and or dying. We said that we knew there were at least five dead or dying characters that meant so much to us. They were pillars of a fledgling nation. They were pillars of the early church. And now that they're gone, now that they're breathing their last or about to breathe their last, things have changed drastically. And so we talked about the fact that we need to breathe new life into righteousness, restraint, respect, responsibility, and reason. Because if you are a Christian as I, and you read the same book that I read, which is the Word of a holy God, you know that with God, death is not final. You cannot read this book and believe that death is the end of anything. Death is the beginning of eternity, so I think it should apply to these guys too. We have missed these five guys desperately in our nation in our culture, and especially in our churches. And so we've gotten together saying, look, let's breathe new life into these guys, and let's do it with our actions. We can't wait for Washington to fix us. We can't wait for people out here outside these walls to fix us. We've got to do it. If there's any hope for this nation, for our churches, for our communities, for our world, it rests on the back of God's kids. And we, in fact, are God's kids And we need to get to the point of of getting these things back to life, breathing new life into them with our actions. We began with righteousness. How do we breathe life into righteousness? I mean, we could have just thrown a little dirt over on it and it would have been dead and buried and gone and forgotten forever. But righteousness is holiness. It is being right, doing right by God's definition, which we find in black and white right here. You don't have to wonder if what you're getting ready to do is right or wrong. It's right here. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, and I agree with that. There's different flavors, but the root issues will always be the same and the answers are right here. 
And we need to be doing and being what is right by God's definition. How? Let's start off like David did in Psalm 51.10, begging for it. He said, create in me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Help me to be right in your eyes, God. I do not get out of the bed in the morning without praying that prayer. I pray that, and then I pray Proverbs 3. Help me not to lean on my own knuckleheaded understanding, but to lean on you so that you will direct my path. The way we get to righteousness is, first of all, by begging for it. And then I encourage you to understand that as we read God's love letter, we can join the James 4 Club because within James 4, we found that if we would submit ourselves to a holy God, do what He's asking of us, draw near to Him, resist the devil in repentance and sorrow for what we've done, being different, we can then breathe new life into righteousness. And we can stand before this world blameless because they won't have any fingers worthy of pointing at us. And if they do, it will be just another lie, just another way they're trying to get us off our game. Then we decided, hey, let's try to revive restraint too. We spent a great deal of time on that on Monday night. The bottom line is restraint is something that was dead. That wasn't something that was on its last leg. It was dead as a doornail. We don't see any restraint anymore. We have none. I share with you statistics that just made our, just our toenails curl. It was awful to think about how we are such a people of excess and how if we want it and if we think it's going to feel good, we just do it. We can't say no. We don't even know how anymore. But we said let's breathe new life into restraint and self-control and show that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit by saying no to sin. I mean, it seems so simple. But, you know, you hear that campaign that they had on drugs for so many years. Just say no. It's that simple. No temptation, according to my Bible, in Corinthians, no temptation has ever befallen man that will be greater than you can withstand without God giving you a way out. And the way out is saying no and looking unto Him, changing our focus. So in order to have the correct amount of restraint, we just simply say no and stay focused on the cross and the Jesus who died on that to save our souls. When you realize what it cost Him to redeem you, how is it that you can't say no to a few worldly pleasures, a few lust of the flesh, if it's going to make Him happier, if it's going to keep us safer? You know, it's all for our own good. We must be cross-eyed, as I put it that night. And remember Hebrews 12:2 that we are supposed to be looking to the author and the finisher of our faith, so engulfed in Him and what He did and what it cost Him and what He gave us that we can't help but to say no to the devil. And when you say no to the devil, according to what we read right there in James 4, he's going to take off running. He's going to cower down like the dog he is and run away and pick on somebody else who he thinks might be weaker. Don't be the weaker one. Show a little restraint, little restraint, a little self-control. Show this world that we are radically different because if you look just like the rest of them, don't even be witnessing to them. They ain't coming. Don't be their excuse. Show a little restraint. And then we decided last night that we really did think respect was gone. We remembered a time when people came into God's house acting their best, looking their best, being a holy God, understanding this isn't just a building. This is the house of God. This is holy ground, and we need to come into it with some respect. We need to treat God with respect. What did I tell you respect was? It was real simple. To treat one well according to their worth. And so if that's true, what are your actions saying you think God's worth? Now, a lot of you, when I said that last night, I heard a lot of guys, ugh, because you get it. We're the ones that killed respect for God. 
We're the ones who know He is the God who created all things. We are the ones that know that He split the Red Sea to save His children. We are the ones that know He brought the dead back to life, including His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. He's the one that gave us life and eternal life. What's that worth to you? To me, it's worth a little bit of R-E-S-P-E-C-T, as we spoke about last night. We once again have got to get back to respecting our Creator and His creation, those around us, knowing that humanity is the pinnacle of all creation. And you may not agree with everyone. They may be a little different. But remember, no one is beyond redemption, and God loves them infinitely. And we need to show humanity respect, but it starts with respecting God. Well, we've gotten that far. We've got a couple of other things that we need to try to revive before we're done this week. The next one is responsibility. Tonight, we will endeavor to yank from the grave what's left of poor old responsibility. You know, poor responsibility. I will prove to you that this was a godly character, and he died from a lethal game called the blame game. Responsibility's dead because we've been playing such a lethal game of the blame game. I want to give you some examples ripped from the headlines here recently of how this blame game works. If a man cuts his finger off while slicing salami at a sandwich shop, he blames the restaurant. If someone crashes into a tree while driving home drunk, they blame the bartender. If your children are brats without manners, you blame the television. If people are shot by a deranged madman, we blame the gun manufacturer for putting too many rounds in the magazine. If a crazed person breaks into the cockpit and tries to kill the pilot at 35,000 feet, and yet those passengers attack him and kill him first, the mother of the crazed madman blames the airline. Well, shucks, if we're going to think like that, if I die while I'm in this pulpit, y'all blame Herbert. <laughs> it's the blame game. And we killed responsibility. What did he ever do to us? Well, he gave us a great standing in our communities. People knew that when responsibility was alive and kicking, that good people would own up to their mistakes and do what was right. I told you Sunday morning as we got to responsibility, I said, you know, growing up, I knew that my dad was going to cook my ham if I'd done something he said not to do. I just knew that. And I ain't talking about breakfast. I'm talking about my hind end. It, it won't none of this time out mess. He was going to whoop my butt. My dad never hurt me, but he let me know, you're going to do what I told you to do. And it got my attention. But... I always knew that if I tried not to take responsibility, if I tried to play that blame game and put it off on somebody else, I was going to get a double dose. See, I had a very close friend when I was young. I was an only child. But I had a very close friend, and his name was James. He was as imaginary as the day was long. Some of you guys called him, I didn't do it. Some of you called him, it wasn't me. I called him James. Now, I wasn't mental as far as I know. I mean, who knows? But, I mean, I don't know if they checked me out for that or not. But I knew that this guy, James, was always there when I wanted to talk. And whenever I'd done something wrong, it was real easy to say, James did it. I told you all, it was like old Flip Wilson when he turned into Geraldine. The devil made me do it. Well, for me, it was James. But that didn't work for me because if I tried to put it off on James, they give James an imaginary whooping, and then I got the real one. And I got a double dose if I tried to blame it on somebody or something else. I was raised to believe that if I did it, it was my choice, 
And the results were my responsibility. When's the last time we've told the younger generation that? We're trying to do that at our house, but I'll tell you, you don't see much of that anymore. We live in a world where it's always somebody else's fault. And you know what? It started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This is a human characteristic that is just rotten to the core. But you remember that thing now? God put Adam and Eve in the most perfect place on the planet. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect. Had everything they could ever want, everything they'd ever needed, it was perfect. And God said, just don't eat of this one tree. Well, here comes the serpent. He talks Eve into eating whatever the fruit was. I'm not going to stand up here and say an apple like a lot of people do. I don't know if it was an apple or not. If, if, if that's so, I guess I love some forbidden fruit. But she ate the fruit. And then Adam comes along, what have you done, woman? She said, well, I ate the fruit and it's good. So he eats it too. And then here comes God. What have you done? Well, here's how that thing went down. Eve said, the devil made me do it. That serpent made me do it. But I like Adam's response. Well, he was a master. He wins this game, the blame game. He says, that woman that you me made me do it. Boy, it's real easy to blame the bad stuff on God, ain't it? But you make a hole in one out here at the country club, and it's all you, ain't it? Man, Adam had it nailed. And ever since the garden, we've been blaming stuff on everybody everything else, just like these ludicrous examples that I gave you. We don't know how to take responsibility anymore. It's a shame. Even the best of folks, I will not forget this. My son Noah, I've told you guys, I can't brag enough about that child. He's not with us tonight. They just love being at Antioch when they can be, so they're there tonight. But I love this child. He's a good boy. But he loves to cut up, and he loves to make little jokes and stuff. And I'll never forget knowing. I don't even remember what the incident was, but I knew it was Noah that had done it. I said, now, fellas, if I were to ask you all who did, fill in the blank, because like I said, I don't remember, what would you all say? And Noah said, Daddy, I confess, Micah did it. <laughs> even the best of us. And I'd go on to say even the worst of us. How many of you remember this case a few years back about McDonald's and a little bit of cup of hot coffee? Now, I'm going to tell you something. The facts of that have been so distorted, we don't get the real story much anymore. But here's the real story. A 79-year-old lady is riding with her grandson. They pull into the drive-thru at McDonald's. She orders a cup of coffee, and she gets the coffee. They're riding down the road, and she's holding it between her knees. Okay, now let me just tell you all something. You ain't got to be the brightest bulb on the tree to know you really shouldn't be having a cup of hot coffee between your knees. But whatever. I mean, this kid needs to get a car with a cup holder or something or hold it in your hands. But whatever. She's got it between her knees. It's about 192 degrees, as coffee should be, because coffee doesn't brew well until it hits about 192. I'm a bit of a coffee snob, and I know that if the water's not at least 192, you don't get the full aroma and the full uh, flavor from the beans. So it's about 192 degrees. She gets this cup of coffee, holding it between her knees. She's going to pull the lid off. She spills it on herself, and she gets burns on 16% of her body. Now, listen, I want to tell you this. I, I'm not cruel. I am very sorry this woman got burnt. She had to have whirlpool treatments and debridements and all kinds of things, and she truly was hurt, and she amassed some medical bills in the process. And I hate that. But let me tell you something. She was awarded $3 million initially by the courts, because she spilt that coffee on herself and sued McDonald's. wasn't her fault. Well, the judge said, well, I think you're at 20% at fault, so I'm going to lower that down. Poor woman only got $500,000 cash payout 
from McDonald's for spilling her coffee on herself. Now, folks, I'm sorry she was hurt, but, you know, that was her fault. And I will guarantee you, if she's like every other human being, she would have been complaining and been pulling right back into that parking lot if that coffee had been cold or not fresh. I mean, really. She spilled the coffee, not McDonald's, and yet she got $500,000 for that. Unbelievable. I think it was 100% her fault, and she should have taken responsibility. And that's why my coffee at McDonald's now costs four bucks. Because they're trying to make up that darn $500,000 on me. I worked with a lady at the VA Medical Center several years ago. And, you know, if she's listening, I hope she's repentant, got right, whatever. But if she hears it, she might get mad. But, you know, if the conviction fits, wear it. This lady come in limping one Monday morning to work. And she was right lazy anyway. Just tell the truth about it. And, and, uh, and she just was bad attitude. Negative all the time. And let me just let me throw this one in. This is a free one. Whole nother sermon. If you are always negative and looking for the bad side of things, you will find it. And guess what? Nobody likes you. Cut it out. But anyway, she was so negative, and she walks in one morning. Oh, I'm like, what's wrong with you? And we'll just call her Jane. I said, what's wrong with you, Jane? She said, oh, I had the worst thing happen this weekend. I'm Burger King. I said, well, I don't like it either. But what's wrong? I said, she said, I went to that Burger King over in Durham, and I was walking back to my table, and I dropped my fries and my burger off my tray, and I slipped on them and fell and hurt myself. She said, but I'm going to get them. I'm getting me a lawyer today, and I'm going to sue them. I looked at her without even skipping a beat. I said, I hope you don't get a penny, and the lawyer, of course, costs you a fortune because it was your burger, your fries, you spilled them, you fell. You are the one who did it. You're responsible. And you know what? She didn't get a dime, and it cost her a whole lot to try to fight him. <laughs> Got what I wanted. I, I don't know if that's ugly or not. I'm just telling you. <laughs> These are real examples, real people. Even those things I read to you, I didn't give any names or any details, but they came straight from the headlines over the last few years. Folks, let me just tell you this. If you get nothing else, the only way that we breathe life back into responsibility, as we should as God's people, just as human beings, is to understand you are responsible for you. Unless someone has physically forced you to do something, whatever decisions you make are your decisions, and whatever comes of them, that's yours. Own it. Right or wrong, own it. I'm going to show you some folks that knew how to do that. Eleanor Roosevelt said this, In the long run, we shape our lives, and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our own responsibility. You go, Eleanor. Her husband, right about the same time, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt, said this, If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit down for a month. Oh, that just hit some of you. That was a joke grenade. Finally went off. Listen, isn't it true? Man, alive, we're ready to blame the world for everything that's going on when most of our wounds are self-inflicted. We need to recognize that what these folks were saying was so true. Our lack of restraint and poor personal choices that don't line up with this right here put us right where we are tonight. You say, well, I, I, other people made bad decisions around me. You didn't choose to be around them? Ouch. I would submit to you that wherever you are in life right now has something to do with a choice you made somewhere. 
And I think if you brought me to me, all these examples, oh, you don't understand. If you brought them to me, we could trace that thing on back. might take a little bit, but I believe we could trace it right on back to a poor decision you made somewhere along the way, or a good one maybe. We've got to get to a point where we understand our lack of restraint and our choices have gotten us where we are, and we need to own that. And in the end, I want you to understand this from the biblical perspective. No one in the end will be asked to give an account for you but you. I'm going to prove that to you. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 51. I read to you the other night as we talked about restraint, how David showed us what not to do, how Joseph showed us what to do. And in 2 Samuel 11, we saw that David had Bathsheba. She was bathing naked on the roof, which, again, please, ladies, don't bathe on your roof. It's just not safe. But, but she's bathing on the roof. He he wants her. I mean, he's a normal fella. He's visually stimulated. He sees her. He wants her. He says, Who's, who is that? Oh, that's your eyes, wife. Okay, bring her to me. I want her. No restraint. Took her. And then when he realized what he'd done, she was pregnant, he ended up having Uriah killed. He may as well have done it himself. Horrible situation. But in Psalm 51, we find out he didn't blame anybody else. He could have easily said, Well, Lord, if that woman had not been out there bathing naked, I wouldn't have been tempted to do that. He could have blamed it on the devil. He could have blamed it on the architects that built his palace high enough to look down on her roof. He could have blamed it on a million people. But David, egregious of sin as that was, took ownership. And look at this in Psalm 51. As we begin up in verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop. He didn't say nothing about purging Bathsheba or somebody else. He said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, and renew within me a right spirit. You starting to get the point? Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit again from me. Restore unto me the joy of of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy spirit. David got it. Do we? I mean, this guy had committed adultery, fornication. He had lust of the flesh, no self-restraint, and murder, all in one fell swoop. But he understood that he had sinned against God and God alone, and that he and he alone was responsible to God for what he had done, just like we all are. We're not going to be able to use the excuse that our husband or our wife or sister so-and-so or whoever were responsible for the horrible things we did or responsible for the good things that we didn't do and knew we should have. David got it. Do we? Romans 14. Let's just keep on working through this beautiful love letter God's given us. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. As we look at Romans 14, 10 through 12, we begin to talk about the principles of Christian liberty. And as we get to verses 10 through 12, we find out that part of the principle of Christian liberty is that we take responsibility for ourselves because one day there's going to be a judgment for all of us. As we look at verse 10, it says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set up naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The word all is the word from Greek, pos, which means every one of us. You ain't going to escape this. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, 
As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. So then every one of us shall give an account of ourselves and our families, ourselves and our community. No, it just says every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You get that? There will be two judgments at the end, folks. There will be the Bema Seat of Christ, B-E-M-A. That judgment seat where God's people will be standing before Christ. And we will have to give an account for those things that we have done in His name. Now, the beautiful thing is at this judgment, it's not going to be about... Because at that point, you are about to enter into eternal glory and everything's going to be perfect. But it will be about rewards. And we will give an account for no one else but ourselves at that point. Whatever we've done, whatever we've not done, is going to amount to what we get by way of rewards. Now, I don't quite understand that, and I think anybody that says they are is sort of blowing smoke. But we're going to be given some type of reward, not to keep, but to lay back at the feet of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you guys. I've heard people say this. I'll be happy if I just get in. Not this bald-headed rascal. I want to get in, and I want, I want y'all to be so upset waiting in line behind me that you start re-guessing, oh, gosh, should I have come here? I mean, really, I want to be standing there that long as God gives an account for what I've done in His name. And I don't want there to be anything that was missing. I don't want there to be missed opportunities. And look, let's be realistic. I know there will be. I know there will be a lot of things that I didn't do that I should have. But I want to get so many of those crowns that when it's my turn to walk back up to Jesus and say thank you, that I just get to keep doing it over and over and over. Not to pay Him back for my salvation. That's ridiculous. I couldn't get enough. But just to say thank you and I love you. But I'm not going to get to say, oh, I was kin to so-and-so and and look at all the wonderful things they did. I'm not going to get to count any of what you did. I'm just going to give an account from me. And then I'm going to get a certain amount of rewards because of it. Now, in the interim, I'm going to earn a lot of judgment for the things that I do here, and I'm not going to be able to blame you. See, it didn't work with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve both had to give an account for what they had done in the garden that day. And it cost them a lot. Poor Eve, she, you can thank her for why it hurt when you had your youngins. Fellas, you can thank, her, thank uh, Adam for having to get weeds out of your garden and having to fight to grow something. I mean, a lot of things come in discipline that God brings to us in the temporary. But I don't even like to think about the negative aspects of it. I just want to be able to stand before God when He judges me and give an account for myself that I did everything I knew how to do to say thank you and live my life the way He asked. Well, if I haven't convinced you, you'll be given an account for yourself and only yourself. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, just a couple of chapters over there. That's such a beautiful sound. You got your love letters. Use them often. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, that Bema seat. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I don't see anything in there that says anybody else is going to stand with you or that they're going to count in your reckoning, it's just going to be you and the good Lord. I don't know if I've convinced you that, but I've got one more. Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Keep going over to your right. We're heading the right way now. Might have Bible drill here in a minute. 
Galatians 6, 4 and 5. Give you another moment there. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Key words. Listen again. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Don't you get the picture? You're responsible for you. And here's how this hits the ground. Here's the application. We have got to begin taking responsibility for the fact that we have killed our nation. We've got to. It's our fault. You see, if you look back at the early history of our nation, it was founded just so we could get together and do this right here. So we could open God's Word and proclaim it without persecution. We've allowed it to come to the point where now the only people that don't have freedom of speech and freedom of religion are us, the Christians. Listen, you know, you can get on and say, oh, you can't call out certain denominations and certain other religions in the pulpit. Watch me. I'm going to tell you, you know that prayer was taken out of the high school a couple of years ago, out of the graduation. Thank you as a community for stepping up and saying, "Mm -mm, enough's enough. But it's interesting to me, we got a phone tree on a Person County school system phone tree, a piece of equipment that belongs to Person County just a few weeks ago. They're saying, you know what, we want to uh, get you to come on out to a specific church for the blessing of the animals. Wait a minute, the school system won't support us praying for our children? But they'll support us praying for animals that have no soul? You know whose fault that is? Ours. I take responsibility for that. Will you? Things are upside down. I told you the other night, man, I'm all about saving the whales. I'm all about saving the spotted owls. We might need to eat them things one day. We're running out of food, but listen, I'm all about saving them. Y'all knew I was a member of PETA, right? People, people eating tasty animals. But I'm all about that. I, look, I'm all about a good cause. Let's save the animals. But somewhere along the way, that got twisted. Let's save the humans. Prayer can't happen at a high school graduation, but you can put it on a piece of Person County Schools equipment that we need to get together and pray for animals. I love my pets as much as anybody. I've told you, we've got trained chickens. But I don't believe for a second I need some preacher to pray over my chickens. At least not until they've been fried. <laughs> it's funny, but isn't it sad? Isn't it sad? What has happened to us? Folks, it's time for us to grab a hold of righteousness and restraint and respect and do our part as God has asked. And when we fail, we should default to responsibility. Say, you know what? We messed up. We let things get this far. Let's step back up with righteousness. Let's step back up with restraint. Let's step back up with respect and let's get it done. We messed up. David did it. It worked for David. David was on after God's own heart, and he died, I believe, with all my heart, with God's blessings. And I believe he's in the presence of an almighty God right now because he was repentant. He was sorry. He took responsibility. It's our turn. It's our turn, church. 
We've killed our nation. We're killing Christianity, at least in the world's eyes. And it's time for us to take responsibility, yank him up out of his early grave, and once again draw us closer to God because we are responsible for our own actions and quit playing the blame game. Here's the invitation. This invitation time will be a great place to start in accepting your part in the decline of America. really would. Accept your part in the decline of America. You say, I didn't do it. Yes, you did. It was once said that the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. That was quoted back when millions, 11 million Jews were killed during the Holocaust. There were churches that literally, as the trains would come by with boxcars loaded with Jews, God's chosen people, were screaming and wailing and dying in those boxcars. There were churches so close to the tracks they could hear it. And do you know what they did? They didn't get out there and derail the cars. They didn't get out there and do anything. They sang louder so they wouldn't have to hear. We've been singing louder so we wouldn't have to hear. We've been kicked back in our lazy boy pews singing our Christian songs, claiming to be Christians and not putting the hands and feet of Jesus on and going out there saying enough is enough. This invitation will be a good time to accept your part in that because you may think you're not responsible. You may be pointing fingers, but for every one you point away, there's four pointing back. And it'd be a good time tonight to say, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry I sat back and I was worried about my job. I was worried about my social standing. I was worried about what people would think or the public embarrassment. I'm more worried about truth and pleasing God. And it'd be a good time for us all to get on that same page. If we do that, I believe God will help us breathe new life. And not just responsibility but our nation beginning right here. And this is all it's going to take. Jesus took 12 ragtag men that weren't worth 10 cents when he got them and turned the world on its ear. He can take a church load of people at Theresa Baptist Church and start changing this world right here. Are you going to take that seriously and do something with it? The invitation is yours. Father God, thank you for a wonderful night together. We've heard some good music. Some beautiful theology in what these dear men have sung. We have, God, enjoyed just being together, worshiping, fellowshipping together. We have enjoyed in Your Word. We're glad we still got that freedom, but it ain't going to last long the way we're headed. Father, I pray that we'll take to heart this message, what it means to each of us, and that we will breathe life back into responsibility as individuals. Father, may not a single one of us walk out of here tonight saying, well, I'm trying, but such and such ain't doing their part. Father, we can't worry about nobody else anymore. Somebody's got to step up. May it be us. And I pray that it will be us, that you will bless us for our efforts. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.